0: Scanning the uh, the crowd here this morning to see who's smiling at me right now. Oh, lots of you. Because there's um, there's a little surprise here again for me. There's some notes on the pulpit here, thank you notes, and I'm not going to read them all right now. But wow, this is a treat. It's a huge treat. So whoever was responsible for this, thank you, thank you. Not quite as disruptive. I just thought of this now, and I hope you're going to forgive me for sharing this. Not quite as disruptive as a pastor couple friend of ours. They shared this with us a little while ago. Um, On Sunday morning, before they went to church, while uh, Mr. Pastor was getting himself ready, uh, Mrs. Pastor uh, went into the middle of his notes, and she wrote a bunch of very suggestive notes into... (laughs) Yeah, this is true. These are pastor couple friends of ours. And so as he's preaching and he's getting right into it, then he gets to this page and all of a sudden his eyes get big. (laughs) And fortunately he caught himself before he started reading those parts of the... That's the kind of friends we associate with. And you wonder why we are the way we are. So, this was... uh, This was... Somewhat similar, but much more um, spiritual. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Great treat. Several years ago, a country artist by the name of Johnny Reed had a hit song called um, Today I'm Gonna Try and Change the World. And uh, some of you are uh, nodding. You you know the song. Uh, I liked it. I still like it, actually. I listened to it again this morning uh, because I think Jesus would like it, too. Now, I'm not going to run too far down that path. Johnny Reed is probably the kind of singer that some of you like and some of you hate. He has a really raspy voice, and so uh, some people don't totally appreciate that. Um, I kind of like it. It's my taste, so... But the song itself really resonated with me because... um, for a long time already and I've shared this with a few of you in the past at least little parts of it uh I have a little bit of an issue with all this uh this hype about someone trying to be someone great and uh, and this hype about dreaming big and you can do anything you set your mind to and aspiring to go out and become this this world changer Becoming this powerful, influential person that the world is going to stop and take note of. And um, North American Christianity, to me, it feels like has kind of bought into that to some degree, too. I was at a big youth rally several years ago, and all the young people were being challenged by the speaker to dream big. And go out and become the next Moses, or the next David, or the next Joshua, or the next Peter. And I found it kind of interesting because they were never challenged to go out and become the next Jesus. Someone that would lay down his life for his people. Someone that would deny himself and take up his cross and follow Jesus to the cross. It was all about becoming great and doing great things for God. And, and in the middle of uh, you know me being a little annoyed at that type of kind uh, of hype, uh, Johnny Reed comes out with this song. And, um, and here's the lyrics. I'm not going to play the song itself for you because not everybody would like it. But uh, the lyrics are, Today I'm going to try and change the world. I'm going to say hello to my neighbor. I'm going to greet him with a smile. I'm going to shake the hand of a stranger. Sit and talk for a while. Tell someone I love them from the bottom of my heart. Today I'm going to try and change the world. Going to take it one day at a time. I've made my resolution. I've opened up my eyes. Today I'm going to try and change the world. And I have to confess that sounds a lot more like Jesus' life and teaching to me than what the speaker was talking about at that hyped-up youth rally that I was at quite a few years ago. So Jesse gave us some good food for thought last week when he alerted us to an interesting observation. Observation. Uh, interesting, isn't it? Uh, here comes Jesus uh, into a world that is captivated with the whole uh, kingdom mentality, way of thinking, uh, you know, whose kingdom is bigger and stronger and more powerful and more influential, and of course, they are very consumed with the Romans who are in charge of them and have conquered their their land, their kingdom, and they are waiting, looking uh, for this leader that's going to rise up from within them and that's going to rally the troops and that's going to cause this uprising and we're going to become more powerful than the Romans and we're going to take back our territory. And we're and so these people are all kind of consumed. They're growing up, they're living in a time when it's very much kind of kingdom and power mentality. That's the way all the people are thinking. Um, authority and strength and and longevity, and, and all of that, and, in, and, and Jesus is injected into a world that's dominated with this kind of thinking, and Jesus comes along, in the middle of this kind of thinking, try to imagine this, Jesus comes along and he says, um, My kingdom is like a man who went out and sowed seed. My kingdom is like a mustard seed. My kingdom is like yeast. And you go, really? Why not? The kingdom of heaven is like Mount Everest. It will not be moved. It will not be shaken. It will last forever. Strong and tall and mighty. My kingdom is like a mighty army that will never be overthrown. My kingdom is is like the roaring wind that will move in and that will consume the country. Nobody can do anything about it. My kingdom is like the heat of the sun. It will just go everywhere and infiltrate everything. It will be strong and powerful and unequaled in any way. No, instead, every direct illustration that Jesus offers about his kingdom is something small, And seemingly insignificant and very, very ordinary. I I find that very interesting. I find that very significant. Something that surely wasn't just an oversight on the part of Jesus, was it? I mean, it must have, it's so, so unique. It must have been very intentional on his part. Because it just doesn't seem like the obvious choice in how to sell, attract people to join up, to sign on with your movement. Because the people in their day just wouldn't have been attracted to this kind of a movement. And in some ways we could maybe say the same thing because I think we've got a similar problem to what people back then had. I was in a Bible study a long time ago. In fact, I was leading the Bible study. And I asked the question, um, what are some things that people worship in in our day and age? And somebody who kind of thinks outside the box said, um, big. Uh, What? Big. And I thought about it for a little bit and I thought, "Hmm." That's actually not a bad answer. It does kind of seem like we're kind of consumed with, with big. And, and we want to have the biggest tractor or the biggest combine. And we want to have a big snowmobile or a big motorbike. We want to go shopping in a big store. We want to be part of a big town. We want to have a big farm. And we want to be a big church. And somewhere, someone decided that big was going to be synonymous with successful. And I wonder who had the right to decide that. Who came up with that idea? That big was synonymous with successful. And so... Somewhere in, in, in all, and, and we do a very good job, actually, of, of of perpetuating that and teaching our children that same thing. You know, we, we our children are doing, wow, you're so big. And it's this idea that, wow, okay, so I don't want to be little, I want to be big. And then I want to be even bigger, and then I want to be even bigger. And so we kind of indoctrinate this idea into them that the bigger we are, the better it's going to be. So we want to be bigger and we want to have bigger and it's all about big. And so I'm thinking, yeah, actually actually this idea about us worshipping big, yeah, there's actually something to that. So why does Jesus come along and say, my kingdom is like a mustard seed? Mustard seed is not... Big. You farmers will know that. Most of the rest of us will know that too. My kingdom is like yeast. And you go, what? And you think you are going to use that kind of symbolism to start a kingdom that's going to change the world? I mean, come on, man. Did I do that pretty good? There's actually a football analyst Show. I think I'm saying that right. That's kind of, that has that name. Come on, man. <laughs> and it and 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 they use that to describe somebody who makes some kind of a boneheaded move. Like not a, not wrong, not immoral or, or 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 wrong in that sense, but just like, why would you do that? That just makes no sense. And we look at Jesus and we think. You want to start a kingdom, a movement that's going to change the world, and you're talking about mustard seeds and yeast. And you go, come on, man! I mean, think this thing through. It doesn't work that way. You can't do it like that. But in looking for suitable illustrations of his kingdom, Jesus goes to very ordinary things. And Jesus, or Jesse, Jesus, almost, yeah, there you go. Uh, Jesse alerted us to that last Sunday morning. Jesus goes to everyday, ordinary things when he wants to illustrate his kingdom, and that resonates with me. So he uses ordinary things to illustrate his kingdom. We want to take a step uh, in, in kind of in, in a parallel direction. This morning, I want to say so. What happens when Jesus starts talking about who is in his kingdom or who best represents his kingdom? Okay, so ordinary things best illustrate his kingdom, who best represents his kingdom. totally sure if you are already tracking with me or not, or the picture maybe gives it away. Um, But there's this little situation where the disciples, being very human, they are arguing about who of them was the greatest. Who of them, in their version, uh, who of them was going to sit at Jesus' right side and left side when he was going to become the next world ruler? the next world power, the next growing concern kingdom. And so they're talking about who of them is going to be the greatest. And Jesus looks at this, and and Jesus says, okay, so here's a suitable opportunity for me to do a little bit of teaching. Um, Who best represents my kingdom? Who best... um, If you want to attract people into your kingdom what would you say? In their world, maybe, you know, the high priest would best represent, or the governor, or the Levites, or for that matter, the scholars and the teachers of the law, all of them very important in their world. They represent my kingdom. In our world, maybe Chuck Swindoll, or James Dobson, or Max Licato, or Billy Graham, or... Or Sarah Young, or Beth Moore, or Joris Meyer, or maybe closer to home, you know, Bruce Martin, or Leon Fontaine, or Mark Hughes, or Leighton Friesen, or Harry, Harvey Plett, or Jesse Penner, or, you know, kingdom builders kind of people. Those are the kind of people that best represent God's kingdom. By the way, I'm not saying anything bad about any of those people. But what does Jesus say? Who best represents the kingdom of heaven according to Jesus? So, Matthew 18, verses 1 to 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom. And then one chapter later, chapter 19... Verses 13 and 14. We love that story, but I'm often not totally sure that I actually get it. Or that we actually get the full impact of what that means in our culture and in our churches. But we like the story. The disciples are trying to make sure that Jesus is going to keep his energy for the really important people. And he's not going to waste it on the insignificant people. And so they're trying to conserve Jesus' energy. And so they, if we understand it correctly, and so they are kind of chasing the children away from Jesus. And Jesus says, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Who best represents what the kingdom of heaven is all about? Ordinary folks. Ordinary folks like you. Like me. Jesus teaches it. And he also models it. If you were here a few weeks ago, you heard some of this already. As we looked at the different participants in the Christmas story. Uh, God picked ordinary people in the middle of their ordinary worlds to be participants in the Christmas story. Mary... An ordinary teenage girl, simply following in the customs of her people, engaged to be married to an ordinary man by the name of Joseph, as far as we know, a regular kind of guy with an ordinary type of job, living his way, his life in an ordinary way. Zachariah and Elizabeth, on a different, you know, kind of social category, but also going about their lives, their ordinary lives in an ordinary way. The shepherds, just ordinary guys doing ordinary things. The wise men, yeah, they were a little different than the people immediately surrounding the birth of Jesus. But they too, they were in their own world. They were just ordinary men doing their ordinary thing. None of these participants were out trying to be extraordinary people. None of them were aspiring to be extraordinary. They were all simply ordinary people doing their ordinary thing. Even and I find this very interesting little side note. Even actually the prophecy about the little town of Bethlehem where Jesus was born, if you go to Micah chapter 5 verse 2, it's an interesting little note there. It says, "But you, Bethlehem, though you are small, though you are small among the clans of Judah." Interesting. Why why would it say that? "Out of you will come a ruler Though you are small, we could probably insert the word ordinary. Though you are an ordinary little town, nothing extraordinary about you, but there's going to be something that'll happen. And the Christmas story is not unique to this. Jesus shows over and over how his kingdom is about ordinary folks. Whom did he choose to be his disciples? Did he go to the governing uh, uh, categories or the governing uh, societies? And pick his disciples? Did he go to the, to the high business area? Did he go to, uh, to the religious leaders? Did he go to the synagogues? He picked ordinary guys. Ordinary people to become his disciples. I find it interesting. I'm just going to keep pushing on this a little bit. I have a businessman friend. He, uh, he makes millions. And he loves to give it away. But it's interesting. He is asked by every mission agency around if he would be willing to sit on their boards. Why not the guy that drives the garbage truck in our community? Or the guy that's welding at Westfield? Or the guy that's milking cows? Or the guy that's Seeding on the field someplace or cultivating. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just trying to push a little bit. I'm just saying I'm not convinced that we really understand what the kingdom of heaven is all about or who best represents the kingdom of heaven. I'm not always sure that I really believe what Jesus taught and exemplified. And then there's this poor widow in Mark chapter 12 verse 42, 43 Jesus is sitting in the temple by the place where people are coming by and and, and giving their offerings. And it says there were many people that came and gave big gifts. And then there's a poor widow, very ordinary. Maybe actually we should say less than ordinary in the eyes of the world, in their world. She puts in two very small copper coins, that's what it says, worth only a fraction of a penny. And Jesus calling his disciples to him said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. These are the people that best represent the kingdom of heaven. According to Jesus. And then in John chapter 6, there's a story. A crowd of people have followed Jesus and he's teaching them and it's time to eat. Jesus tells his disciples to feed the people and they can't find food anywhere. Oh, except for this one little boy who brought a small lunch and it says five Small loaves and two small fish. Very ordinary little lunch for a little boy. And Jesus honoured that. And Jesus fed 5,000 people with it. He honours small. He honours ordinary. He honours the normal. Or what about Jesus taking on the image of a servant and washing the feet of the disciples in John chapter 13? I don't know if there's anything more ordinary than that was in their world. Walking the dusty roads of Palestine with ordinary people. Going to weddings with ordinary people. Visiting and eating and socializing with ordinary people. Talking to them on a hillside. Traveling across the lake with them in a normal boat during a storm. See, the biggest problem that people actually had with Jesus was the fact that he was too ordinary. He didn't stand out. He wasn't this, this, um, this amazing, powerful person that, that they were hoping for him to be. He, there was something very unique about him, but he, was, but he was doing all these ordinary things. He was doing life in an ordinary way. And all the while, Jesus is teaching them that the first will be last and the last will be first. You want to become great? You need to become the servant of all. When you go to a banquet, take the lowest seat in the room. And he talks about the greatness of giving a cup of cold water to someone. Insignificant. Handing someone a cup of cold water made it into the Bible. It made it into Jesus' teaching. Ordinary. Nothing big. And he talks about visiting the sick and those in prison and giving someone clothes and food and inviting people into your home. Just normal, ordinary things that ordinary people do. That's his kingdom. And then at one point, Jesus tried to warn his disciples about the fact that he was going to have to suffer and he was going to have to die. And Peter goes, no, there's no way that can happen to you, Jesus. After all, you're going to become great. You're going to become the next powerful leader. And Jesus tells Peter, he has some very, very harsh words for Peter, but then he says, then he says this, Peter, you have in mind the things of men, not the things of God. That's the way people think. People think about power and becoming powerful and having authority and gaining notoriety And being someone influential, that's the way people think. It's not how God thinks. I'm getting this sense that all of our motivational hype about being somebody and doing something great and changing the world, I'm starting to get the sense that Jesus might say, you have in mind the things of men, not the things of God. In my kingdom, it doesn't work like that. Who best represents the kingdom of heaven? Ordinary people. Like you. Like me. Ordinary people who donate potatoes to Union Gospel Mission. Before I close for this morning, I want to share a little story with you. I'm going to call it a God in the Ordinary story. This is the kind of stuff that we've been talking about the last few Sundays and the stuff that we're kind of gearing up for, particularly during the month of February. Stories that we want to share with each other of how God has been working and is working in the ordinary, in your ordinary world. Because that is where the kingdom of God is happening. It's happening in your ordinary world right now. The kingdom of God is happening so I get lots of stuff across my desk. Uh, now, By now, it's more emails than, uh, than actual mail or, or hard copies, but some of that also, lots of stuff. And I'm going to confess, a lot of it goes straight into the trash. I just don't have time to look at everything and, and sort it all out. A lot of it's good stuff, and I feel guilty throwing it in the trash, but, but a lot of it goes that way. Not your emails, by the way. You send me emails, I read it word for word. And I love every one of them. Um, but all this stuff... It comes. I, I got to kind of sort through it. And, and, um, and so, some of it I, I, I open up and some of it I do, I do read. And so about a month ago, I'm going through a bunch of these emails and I'm doing this. And, and there's one email there from Union Gospel Mission. And uh, Union Gospel Mission has always had a bit of a place in my heart. And they're asking for donations, uh, particularly in this case, they were asking for donations of food and volunteers to do their big uh, Christmas supper or dinner, and it was gonna happen on New Year's Day, and, and it kinda caught my attention, and I wasn't quite sure uh, you know, if I was supposed to do something about it or not. And uh, I knew that I couldn't volunteer because we had a different event going on that day, but there was a list of things that they needed to have donated. And so I, I, I made the phone call. There was a phone number there. I made the phone call and I asked, what, you still, what do you still need? And, um, and one of the things that the lady on the other end of the phone said is, is we need, uh, we need 300 pounds of potatoes. And when she said, we need 300 pounds of potatoes, I heard myself say, I'll take care of that. And then I hung up the phone, and then I started rehearsing the conversation. She said, we need 300 pounds of potatoes. And I said, I'm going to take care of that. Okay. So, well, I can, I can do that. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a significant, but I, I mean, I can, I can handle that. And, um, and then I'm thinking, actually, I, I have a son-in-law who lives in McGregor, that's potato country, they don't do potatoes anymore, but uh, but I'm sure he he might have connections. So I text them. I say, Matt, um, I just finished committing to uh, bringing 300 pounds of potatoes to Union Gospel Mission for their Christmas lunch that they do for the homeless people in the area there, and uh, and I'm just wondering if you would have connections with anybody in your area who would be able to sell me bulk uh, potatoes at a at a decent price. And he said, uh, "Are you looking for a donation?" I said, "No, no, I'm. I'm uh, I said I would supply. I'm willing to. I'm willing to pay for them. But do you have somebody out there who's who's willing to uh, to supply, or or who would who I, whom I could contact?" And he said, "Let me make a few phone calls. I'll get back to you later on tonight." And um, and at nine o'clock in the evening, he texted me back and he said, first guy I contacted said they would donate all the potatoes." And you're wondering, Darren, why are you getting emotional about this? 300 pounds of potatoes for potato farmers? That's nothing. Yes, it is. That is the kingdom of God. it's, it's It's in the ordinary. It's not in the amazing, in the out of this world. It's in the ordinary. And I'm afraid that all of our teaching about being somebody amazing has blinded us to being willing to just be part of the ordinary kingdom of God, making a difference day in and day out. In your ordinary world, in your ordinary way, I'm not looking for anything unbelievable. See, in the, in the teaching that Jesse did last week about the parables and the ordinariness of the parables, uh, the thing that kept on, kept on being repeated by Jesus is, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And I'm afraid that we're not hearing or seeing very well anymore because of all this hype about being somebody amazing and doing something out of this world and changing the world and we forget that the world is right, right here, right around me, right now. God is looking for ordinary people. His kingdom is made up of, he told us that, he illustrated it. His kingdom is made up of ordinary people like you, like me. In that Matthew 13 section that Jesse talked to us about last week, there's a verse that says, Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. And I'm wondering if it's because they were looking for the amazing. Rather than the ordinary. Do you think they may have missed it? Because they were looking for the amazing. Instead of the ordinary. And I want to say. God is in the ordinary. Amen.